Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. Welcome to Petri Dish. This is Nathan. I'm Sean. And we're very excited to do a special four-part episode all on skin. Skin's real important. Yeah, so to talk about this properly, we have a special guest here today. This is a person with relevant scientific experience well on their way to becoming a doctor, Matilda Miranda. Hello. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. So fancy. The founder of the NHS. What? Yeah. <laughs> One of the lead scientists in acne. Very fancy. I don't know what Matilde does. <laughs> so, <laughs> Matilde, tell us what your research topic is, kind of broad, broad strokes. Hi, my name is Matilde. I am currently a graduate student at UCLA, and I am looking at G-protein coupled receptor signaling in hair follicle stem cell homeostasis. So how to grow hair using cell signaling cues. So yeah, Matilde has a shitload of relevant experience. And so that means that basically this time around, Matilde is going to know all the shit. And then you and I get to both be stupid. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm into it. I'm very excited. I'm not stupid. Uh, yeah. Very cute. Very cute of you. So, so I think overall, broadly, this first episode that we're going to be diving into right now is going to be about skin biology. Right, so we're going to break down a lot of information about skin. Matilda's going to give us all the good info, but that's just the primer, right? Okay. Then what the, are the other episodes about? Right. Next episode after this one is going to be about acne and wrinkles, and then after that we're going to be getting into cellulite. We're going to be getting into skincare health and tips. Stacy might hop in, ask a couple of questions. Yeah, this is going to be really good because, you know, a lot of people are looking for that secret sauce yeah. of how to prevent aging on a physical level. No one cares if they die or not, sure. especially emotionally, yeah. but they want to look good while they do it. And like hidden inside Matilda's knowledge is everything you need to know to stay alive. You just got to look at me, though. Like, I don't look very too youthful. Bad. Very yeah. youthful. Very youthful skin. You guys can't see it because this is not that kind of yeah, media. Not but, a visual medium. But I promise you, her skin resplendent as the sun. Nice. Which she doesn't expose herself too much to. Right, which is episode four. Hey, dude, fucking... Spoilers! That was, a, that was an amazing <laughs> yeah. transition. Yeah. Episode four is going to be about sun and skin. So, guys, if you want to look beautiful forever, listen in for our four-part on skin. Okay, guys. So I think the opening question is kind of broad, and it seems almost overly simple. What is skin? What is it? I know that skin is an organ, but I assume it's got a lot of kinds of tissues and stuff going on. So what makes up actual skin? So skin is going to be the largest organ of the human body, and it's going to be the first barrier 
to the outside world. So it encompasses just the regular skin that you go ahead and see, any kind of hair, nails, glands that are going to be present in the tissue, and other kinds of sensory structures. So it's really a multicellular complex tissue that allows you to interact with the outside world. For our MAGA listeners, that makes it the first and most important border wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah when, uh, to- in case you didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is accurate. Yeah. This is what Trump needs funding for. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think one of the things that I know about skin is that it's got stacks on stacks on stacks, right? It's a heavily layered organ. Right. Your epidermis is showing. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Simpsons. Yes. Excellent. Simpsons. They predicted Simpsons. it all. <laughs> like, remember when Jeff Epstein died in episode three, season eight? Yeah, that was the same one where Trump was president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really nailed it. Yeah. They're all Harvard educated. <laughs> I hate those guys. Is that where Skull and Crossbones is? Uh, that's Yale, right? Oh, okay, I don't know. Yeah, they're all they're all secret John, society John Kerry and George W. Bush went. Okay, gotcha. So there's a lot of layers. I know that we use skin, you know, for, for... furniture. <laughs> <laughs> if right. you're a serial killer, yes. Yeah, lampshades. <laughs> so, <laughs> Matilde says that is to try to distance herself from what she does in her free time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, I mean, if you're a serial killer, <laughs> well, I'm As not pets... a suspect. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, As she pets the mouse skin that binds her wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the mouse skin to t-shirt ratio, yeah. Matilde? So yeah. apparently, she's actually known in her lab for using mouse skin for all sorts of things. For research, primarily. <laughs> primarily, <laughs> secondarily. Chicharrones. <laughs> 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 Um, oh, you didn't roll your R. I can't. Chicharron. Yeah. You, show, show me your tongue roll. Chicharron. <laughs> that's, that's you just go Texan? Yeah, I have Tex-Mex chicharron. Okay, so I know that you can use skin for temperature regulation, obviously protection, coming from immunology. That's what I know skin best for. and uh, But also for sensation. Humans have eight pounds of skin. Sounds like a lot. Right. So, I mean, one easy weight loss is to flay. Yeah. Get rid of all your skin. You just lost eight pounds. And there's 20 square feet of it. So yeah. you can make a tent. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. A totem pole. Sure. If you dried it. Okay. So Matilde, then, you know, with some of that basic info about the skin, what is the outermost layer of skin? The one that's facing the world. So as Nathan said, your epidermis is showing. Yeah. The epidermis is going to be the first and foremost layer of the skin. And here, the cells aren't doing so great. They don't really get a lot of blood supplied to them. And really, if you're going to get blood to these cells, they're coming really from the air and not necessarily from your lungs through the bloodstream. And so right underneath the blood vessels, there's capillaries that maybe provide a little bit of nutritional support. But most of these cells are going to be denucleated and they're going to be shed within the day or within the week. Damn, so it's- Osmosis Jones, 127 hours. What the shit are you talking? <laughs> yeah, because How- he's stuck in the dermis and he's trying to get back down. He's Osmosis- like, ah, fuck. Ah! Okay, well, actually, now that you've kind of went into this a little bit further, there are white blood cells that are in your skin. So, I mean, that's, Poor guys. That, that actually is not that bad. For yeah. the record, as someone that does study molecular biology, I almost on a daily basis, think of Osmosis Jones. I told you, Sean. That's fucked up. It's not fucked up. It's science. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so epidermis. The thing is that even within the epidermis, like we're going to talk about other layers besides the epidermis, but even within epidermis, there's layers, right? So this just keeps going layers by layers. Yeah. But, you know, the epidermis is mostly made up of a kind of cell called keratinocytes. I think that's like... 
I don't know, like 90% of them. Okay. So that's like a shitload of them. And they're the ones that, you know, people are like, oh, they end up dying, right? And they kind of scoot up and then eventually flake off and everything. They build up keratin, which is a protein. They secrete lipids and shit. And yeah, like Matilda was saying, they lose their nucleus. So why does more flake off my head than anywhere else? Like, what's up with, like, dandruff and shit like that? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Matilda, do you, do you know what dandruff is and all that stuff? Dandruff is usually characterized by a reduction in sebum and a lot of other lipids that keep your skin moisturized. And so it also has to do with the microbiome. So you might want to have to see a doctor about that. We'll get into later on how to go ahead and treat a lot of these common skin issues and skin's interesting there's a lot of dead cells but also they secrete antimicrobial shit to like kill microbes out there Mm. the ph is kind of acidic it has its own ph situation going on and that can also prevent certain microbe growth wow and then there's a bunch of bacteria that live all over you i mean not just bacteria right i think matilde brought up and is going to bring up a little bit later fungi can also grow we are dirty skin is Pretty much apart from our gut, one of the most colonized, by microbes at least, um, tissues of our body. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, we're part of a whole coherent biological community. We are biome in of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's like biomeception. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how like, you know, you think it's just cells, but then cells, there's all these epidermis cells and inside them there's atoms and inside those atoms are corks and inside those corks are strings that vibrate. Very cool. (laughs) And the the, the brains that hit each other. Quantum physics is really more amazing than biology. I actually disagree. There's chakras at play. (laughs) Chakras are like strings. (laughs) We're all all plucking at the middle string of the sitar. String theory is where chakras come in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then inside of that is like Michio Kaku. (laughs) Just a little Japanese man. So epidermis is a layer of skin. It's the outermost. But then even inside the epidermis... There's the outermost layer of the epidermis. What's that called? So the outermost layer of the epidermis is known as the stratum corneum. Uh, It's also known as the stratum lucidum because it is fairly clear. And so these are keratinocytes that have reached the end of their lives. They're super dead. They're called corneocytes at this point because they're just a husk of their former selves. And a good example of these corneocytes is if you go ahead and take a look at your palms and the soles of your feet, and just maybe if you have flakes of skin coming out, those are going to be the corneocytes of the first layer of the epidermis. And so these are going to be mainly the barriers of your skin. They're about 20 to 30 layers thick of these dead cell husks and usually also accompanied by lipids. And so these are molecules that are covalently bound by a monolayer and they're usually made up of ceramides. So ceramides are going to be a molecule helping for moisturization, but they are mainly going to be responsible for maintaining the barrier function since they're going to be the first layer of the epidermis. Yeah, and so one of the things that sort of reading about that, learning about that made me think is when people talk about oily skin or even dryness after using soaps or something like that, one part probably has to do with sebum production, which we can talk about a little bit later. But another part might be depletion of things like ceramides and cholesterols in your skin, which I imagine would 
kind of change the texture or something. So not only from changing the texture, but something that lipids and ceramides will help to do is prevent something called TUL. So T-E-W-L stands for transepidermal water loss. So if you do happen to have less oil, less sebum, you essentially don't have this sort of fatty acid seal. And so you're literally evaporating water and drying up like a raisin. Okay. So we just got to like rub cholesterol into our skin and everything's going to be better. (laughs) I mean, people have used avocado oil for skin moisturization purposes. You're not too far off. It's only if it's a good cholesterol. I was about to say, what if it's like French fry fat? Like, <laughs> so I, I thought, isn't there some kind of lotion or something that's got ceramides in it? Does, does that help maintain ceramide levels at all? There is anecdotal evidence that, yes, products that do contain ceramides help alleviate a lot of dry skin in general. Hydration, so internal hydration, Mm. tends to be more beneficial for skin moisturization as a whole than topical treatments for dry skin. Anecdotal evidence just sounds like something on the Goop website, right? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, what does that mean in scientific terms, anecdotal evidence? It means that there's no significant statistics that have been performed. Okay. (laughs) But it sounds like uh, drink your water, hydro homies. (laughs) Hydro homies. Stay hydrated. Okay, so the outermost layer, we're talking 10 to 30 layers of dead shit. Okay. What is the next layer of the epidermis, the next one down? So this is known as the stratum granulosum, called the granular layer in a layman's terms. And this is a very thin layer where the actual keratinocytes are going to really start flattening out, maybe because of the gravity, maybe because of the sheer density of all of these um, proteins that are making up the barrier. This is the spot where dehusking, they become just the proteins of their former selves to make up the shield that you know and love as your skin. Yeah, so like outer skin layers are increasingly more zombified, right? Whereas like zombies in vampire lore is like what they make as their the meat grinder for their armies, right? Oh, the human shield, right? Right. Uh, the skin is like that. They slowly lose their emotional selves and their soul, right? Their nuclei, their ability to procreate, And that way they can be used as protective shielding, having been sacrificed like zombies for Dracula. Yeah, they're the cannon fodder. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the cannon fodder, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful, Nathan. He's right. Functionally accurate. Yeah, yeah. I'm very proud of you. Trying to take all your nerd stuff, guys, and make it accessible to the people. You're a smart broad today. So then uh, we got a little bit of flattening out, and then what's the level below that now? So next... Below is going to be the stratum spinosum, and this is also called the spiny layer. And this is where keratinocytes are a little bit younger. They haven't quite, you know, become a husk. And while they're still on the way to becoming the barrier, this is also where a lot of immune cells called Lagerhorn cells are located. I guess this is where a lot of immune system processes will occur. So this is where your body is still going on with their shield function, but it will call up on these immune cells to go ahead and provide backup. Yeah, so in this layer, like, not only the keratinocytes, they're not dead yet, right? This is pre, pre-dead keratinocytes. But yeah, Langerhans cells are these jabronis. They run around. They are kind of like Osmosis Jones. They are the right? Osmosis Jones of the skin. Correct. Yeah. And so they're out there. They're surveilling to make sure no little uh, sneaky little microbes got in right. and everything like that. So this you is the can... German adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, Osmosis Hans. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have a very big listenership in Germany, so it's probably fine. I think that's fine. What? That wasn't racist. It's just the name. Hans. <laughs> oh, because it's longer Hans. 
Yeah, yeah that's what why did, you're saying. Wait, what did stuff. you think I was referring I to? You were talking about some Nazi shit. I don't know. <laughs> you're the racist. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Below that, we have something called the stratum basilae. Yes. So in more colloquial terms, this is then known as the basal layers. We've reached the bottom of the epidermis, and this is where stem cells that give rise to all of these keratinocytes that then grow out and become your skin barrier live. And apart from keratinocytes and these stem cell populations, this is where the pigmentation sources of your skin come from. They come from a cell population known as melanocytes, and they're going to give rise to things called melanosomes. And this is where really a lot of the color, whether it comes from just regular skin color or even the color of your hair, this is where they live. And not only that, they also provide UV radiation protection, but not necessarily protection from heat. So this is like the racist layer, where, well, where all the skin color comes from. Well, well, I mean, before we jump into that, tell me about Merkel cells, right? What is <laughs> yeah. Angela Merkel doing in this We situation? can't talk about racist until we handle the, the See, Merkel cells. Osmosis Hans, <laughs> it's the Merkel cell at the bottom, okay? Well, what is a Merkel cell? It's someone who opens borders to Syrian refugees, which I think is an important moral choice. Hold on. Let's get the real answer first. Uh, uh, Have you run into Merkel cells before? Do you know what they are, Matilde? Yes, I have, actually. So Merkel cells are a specific type of mechanosensory type of cell, and they're actually going to be the cells in your skin that can detect some sort of light, some sort of touch, and they're sort of a halfway point, a hybrid between regular signaling cells and also neurons because they can interact with synapses to nerves to then signal to the brain to maybe do something. Yes. So so these are cells that light up when, for example, Nathan is doing his light touch that he does to a lot of people. To you? I'm very uncomfortable. I do that to you. <laughs> I am You're extrapolating. People. I am also people. Yeah. And then I guess this is the layer where you see, oh, since it's the basal layer, that's where yeah. basal cell carcinoma yes. shows up. So um, for a lot of skin cancers, the origin and the name are very interconnected. So basal cell carcinoma, because this basal layer is home to a lot of stem cell populations, these stem cell populations, when it comes to damage, when it comes to sort of uh, genetic disruptions, tend to be the same populations that give rise to tumors. So basal cell carcinoma, which is the most common type of skin cancer, is believed to come from this basal layer of the epidermis at the base. Like how the CDU is tragically metastasizing into AFD. (laughs) How? German politics deep cuts? <laughs> that's what you're doing? I'm so worldly. Holy shit. Okay. Um. So, that, so that's everything with the epidermis. The general premise being that a lot of the kind of interesting functions and melanin comes from the basal layer. After that, it gets increasingly light, right? Like in its pigmentation, it loses pigmentation and becomes more like husks for shielding. Yeah, right? I guess melanocytes can send sort of uh, extremities, sort of protrusions up into higher <laughs> layers of the epidermis. But yeah, most of the epidermis is about getting those keratinocytes set up. And then there's some immune shit. There's some of this coloring shit. It's all about protection, whether it's immune whether it's from pesky, you know, UV rays, or if it's also protection maybe from other people. Yeah, too much rub rub. Okay, so... That's the skin is my enemy. So we're going to take a break now, and then when we get back, we're going to go to the next layer down, the, the dermis. The infamous dermis. Very sexy. Some things in life just go better together. Salt and pepper. Corned beef and hash. Your son's eighth birthday and a 10-pack of Marlboro Red. Now get ready for another of life's great partnerships. Human skin and furniture. 
Harness the natural protective and stain-resistant powers of human skin with our new line of couches, ottomans, pillowcases, and sectionals. Now, we know what you're thinking and do not worry. Our human skin is free-range and cageless. Don't compromise with human skin riddled with GMOs and antibiotics and fluoride. Get the best at the best prices with our new line of human skin furniture. So guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Now we're going to talk about the lair where the male anglerfish bites and becomes a comeback. <laughs> and that's the dermis. <laughs> the dermis is right underneath the epidermis. And main cell types, we're talking about fibroblasters, macrophages, mast cells. Are there um, any myoblastus here too? That's going to be the next oh, level. Myoblastus? Don't the next worry. level? They're next coming level. in the next level. Anyway, okay, cool. Okay, so Matilde, what are fibroblasts? So fibroblasts are really going to be the construction workers of right. this particular layer of the epidermis. They lay down a lot of connective tissue in the form of collagen. They lay down a lot of other proteins that make up this thing called the extracellular matrix. So this is kind of like the filler area of your skin, allowing for a lot of sensation, allowing for a lot of cushioning, and also hydration, maintaining a good level of moisture in the skin. Right. These are like the Amazon factory workers of Osmosis Jones. I thought construction workers was fine. No, no, no. My bad. Also construction. Like blue collar. These are blue collar workers, right? Yeah. So I think actually extracellular matrix is an idea that a lot of people who are interested in biology could probably could use really well. Because I do think that in the focus of cell biology, you sort of lose an idea of what tissues and organs are actually like, right? So cells are really important and everything, but pretty much just as important when it comes to tissue organization and function is all the shit outside the cells, all right. the things that make up the streets and highways that nutrients can run on, signaling factors, a lot of them are attached to the extracellular matrix. So it's not just a building scaffold, it's also signaling, it's also transit. And so there's a lot of really important aspects. This is stuff that Matilde mentioned, uh, collagen. Collagen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, collagen, uh, other proteins, elastin, which make your skin elastic. Nice. Go figure. Delicious. Um, hyaluronin. Isn't that like a kingdom in Zelda? Yeah, mixed with that dude that broke the uh, the Harvey Weinstein case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Ronan Farrow. Yeah. yeah. Hyrule Ronan. <laughs> Hyrule Ronan. <laughs> what, what else we got? We got glycosamine. Oh, fuck. I did yeah, not glycosamine glycans. <laughs> I did not Woo! practice I, I, any of these. I, I love glycosamine glycans. We've got glycosamine gags. glycans. We've got <laughs> proteoglycans and a few others. But these really define the dermis. And they almost, if we're going to use the construction metaphor, they do help make the glue, the screws, the, you know, levels for all of this network to exist. When I'm thinking about dermis, uh, I'm thinking tattoos, right? That's where tattoo ink goes. Yeah, so actually, this is where not only tattoo ink goes, but tattoo ink stays. And so because a lot of your immune system in the skin is based not only in the epidermis, but also in the dermis, because these pigments are considered uh, foreign invaders, the immune system will break down the ink, and that's why tattoos actually fade over time. They're stuck. The pigments are actually stuck in the dermal layer, and the immune system is going to progressively try and break these down over and over and over. But because these molecules are so big, they have a bit of a hard time getting the job done. 
Can you imagine how terrifying that must be if you're a cell and just like, all of a sudden there's like the black and you're like, ah! Yeah, it's just like <laughs> splooging in yeah. like ah! Fern Gully style. But actually they freak out for the rest of your life. Right, right, so right. So people that like actually PTSD. get, ta- yeah, people that actually get tattoos will have a higher immune cell count in their dermis for the rest of their life. So it's almost like a red flag that something's off. Is that useful? Like is their skin now better equipped to like fight off other things? I don't know the answer. You know, that's an interesting question. I think what happens with tattoos is you actually end up having a sort of state of chronic low-grade inflammation in the site. Right. That might be useful for some kind of thing, but overall, over time, chronic inflammation is a negative thing. It causes a lot of aberrant signaling in the area. Mm. It can piss off a lot of the other cells, including fibroblastos. But also, if there's any kind of stem cells hanging around nearby... Chronic inflammation is what causes mesothelioma from asbestos, for example, right? Oh. So That's lung tissue. This is skin. I agree. But I think in general, it's something that can exacerbate stem cells and make them more likely to be precancerous. I'd go as far to argue that because of this immune system that you would actually get more fibrotic tissue, so a lot of more tissue that resembles scarring because of a chronic inflammation so it probably doesn't help in the whole aging realm because you're going to get tissue that doesn't give as much of a i don't know yeah but, aesthetic approach yeah but well wait a minute we all know old people with tattoos look great right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, that's more of a badass tattoo yeah, yeah. not necessarily aesthetic there's actually a really great life in hell cartoon from the 80s where it's just like two punks and the and the title says like 2040 and they're like man we were idiots in uh in the 80s weren't we yeah. <laughs> just like all terrible looking sacks we're already living that life all right and then i guess this layer the dermis is also where stretch marks happen right yes so there's a few theories as to why stretch marks do happen there's not a lot of conclusive evidence unfortunately but some of the main theories have to do with rapid amount of connective tissue expanding especially during puberty male and female when they're going through puberty they experience a lot of hormonal signaling these hormones will then go ahead and act on growing and the skin can only handle so much stress And so this might be a reason why stretch marks just really form. They could be known as stress marks. Sure. And and it's a problem with the extracellular matrix in this case, right? Like, it's not that the cells are dog shit. It's like everything around the cells gets disorganized. Is that what I'm reading here? It's like, you know, a bunch of population comes into a really well-organized grid city, and all of a sudden you got shanty towns and Hoovervilles all over I was the thinking place. about favelas. I was also just thinking about Trader Joe's in West LA. I mean, LA. I was just thinking about LA as a whole. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a certain amount of disorganization that happens from that rapid growth in like the collagen networks. And then you kind of have a reduction in elastin, which would be important for being able to actually stretch. Right, right. So while the dermis is really going to be composed of a lot of collagen fibers, the reason why we get scar tissue or just regular filler tissue has to do with the way that these collagen networks are laid down. So stretch marks are really a result of a disorganized network of collagen fibers and a reduction in a lot of these elastin fibers that allow for the stretchability. And as a result, this is going to be a sort of less elastic, less rubbery uh, material, and this results in a scar. And it's very hard to sort of reorient these fibers once they've been laid down and once the cells have been accustomed to this, this particular formation. Right. So that's why scars stick around for so long. Like all the times Nathan scratched up my face as a baby yeah, and all those scars I got. Yeah, you're welcome. What? 
Well, because now people think you're cooler than you are, right? Because they true. see these scars and they're like, wow, this guy must have served in Iraq. And like, all you did was serve in the Allen household. Right, yes. I definitely yeah. did not do anything fancy like Equal that. Equal amounts of PTSD, but, you know, a little less cool. So scars actually can get reduced to some degree. They're not necessarily permanent as soon as they're formed. But we'll get into that a little bit later in the skincare section. Okay, okay, so underneath all that is some shit called the papillary. No, it's just that oh. there are two layers oh, of dermis. Oh, okay. There's two layers of dermis. Yeah, okay. So what's the One top of them is layer? Pappy. What is this? The papillary, not pappy, <laughs> is going to be the layer that's really allowing for... Um, it's papillary. It's, <laughs> it's the mailman in the heights. He's a character in the new Lynn Manuel Miranda show. Jesus Christ. <laughs> papillary. You just shut your mouth. Let me tell you what she's saying. God damn. All right, what's the papillary layer? The papillary layer, the papillary <laughs> layer is going to be responsible for bringing a lot of the blood supply to the bottom of the epidermis. In and the heights. <laughs> <laughs> this is where a lot of tactile function is also going to be present. So a lot of mechanoreceptors where skin can detect stretching or compression are going to be located. Mechanoreceptor, I mean, I know you're going to think I'm just some random dog shit person, but like that definitely is out of Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> 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 we all know that there are so many mechanoreceptors <laughs> on all those little teenage kids, okay? And that's how, like, uh, they're weird. That's how they move. Yeah, it's like they're weird Freudian shit. <laughs> yes, very good. Got read by the robot. Yes. So these mechanoreceptors, they're hanging out in something called tactile corpuscles. Mm. Corpuscles. Yeah. Corpuscles? I don't know. Sounds good. Isn't that in the Matrix we have, like, a ball of corpses? It's like, when is that in the Matrix? Yeah, I think that's uh, an Matrix Evangelion five. as well. That's an Evangelion. <laughs> that's also Evangelion. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, then there's this thing called the reticular. Yeah, the reticular layer. So this is the <laughs> this is the dermis layer that's further away from the epidermis. Right. So deeper in us. Right, mm. okay. right. So all of the connected tissue, all these immune cells, they like to hang out here in the reticular dermis. And so it's especially dense in all of these other molecules that we talked about, collagen, elastin, hyaluronin. And so this is where you're going to have a lot of structural integrity, a lot of the stretchiness that we know as just regular skin possesses. And this is also where a lot of hydration is going to be present. So I sort of actually remember talking to someone who's a doctor and they were saying that the way that your collagen is laid down in this layer creates tension lines so that when you're doing surgery, you kind of actually want to cut a certain way across the tension lines to make stitching back up afterwards better and like less scar tissue happening and everything like that. Yeah, correct. And it actually kind of looks like an ancient medicine drawing. You've got all these curves and jagged edges. And this indeed does help with a lot of minimal scarring when it comes to what we think of invasive surgery where you have to essentially slice up a patient. Sure. And if you're going to purposely scar somebody, make sure to follow these lines. Yeah, to go against them, right? Like you want yeah. to... Yeah, yeah, you want to cut against the grain. Yeah, it's instructions for how to scar people. Yes, well. yes, yes, yes. I agree with you. And then there's a lot of unimportant shit down there, right? No, it's important. Uh, glands. I, I said important. Oh, I, okay, sorry. I thought you said unimportant. Sean, all so... science is important. Okay, <laughs> even the boring shit. What kind of glands we got, Matilda? <laughs> So we've got a lot of glands. We've got things like sebaceous glands. We've got sweat glands. In addition, we've got what we think of the hair root. The hair root actually will go ahead and grow deep into this dermal layer. 
But what I really want to highlight is the dermis is actually going to be one of the more obvious sites of uh, skin aging. So what happens? Well, I think we're going to have a whole thing where we talk a lot more about aging. But so in the dermis, does aging make it thicker? Does it make it thinner? Does it make it better hydrated, worse hydrated? What, like what happens as you get older? In general, aging skin will have a bit of a thinner dermis. And this is why a lot of older folks will have problems with more elastic skin or have thinner skin. And this is because there's ultimately a loss of collagen, a loss of these other connective tissue fibers. And there's actually more of a disorganization of this network. And while more collagen won't necessarily help, moisturizing, allowing more water to be in this dermal layer in an aged skin setting will help alleviate aging-associated skin conditions. Which is perhaps a great time to mention that our Patreon is now offering a new skincare product. (laughs) It's called Sean's Own Traditional Chinese Pangolin Cream. Okay, it moisturizes straight to the root, all right? (laughs) Why Chinese? What is that? (laughs) Half Korean, that's not even close. Sean, don't don't rummage up fears of coronavirus, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Leave the pangolins alone. All right, so Matilda, what you're saying, collagen cream, probably not useful for older skin. Unfortunately not. So collagen as a protein is super large. And if you're using it as a cream, it's got to penetrate through the epidermis. And we've already established that the epidermis is going to be your great wall, so to speak. Yeah. So honestly, if you're going to want to be able to restore collagen, whether it's because of an injury or if you're just, you know, going through life, really, you would probably want to focus on more hydration to get any kind of benefit. Well, yeah, but could you like inject collagen with a hypodermic needle into like your dermis? Potentially. The thing is, you can't tell where the collagen is going. There's different types of collagen and you don't know if it's going to hit this papillary. That's too bad because I have a lot of hypodermic needles laying around. I was trying to think of something else to do with them. That sounds like a you problem. (laughs) It's a you opportunity. There are a few different ways that you might be able to alleviate a little bit of collagen and allow for more collagen to grow in the dermis. I thought you were going to say use those needles. <laughs> Three other ways you could make she, turn a profit. She's trying to be helpful to more people than literally your problem of having too many needles. Correct, correct. And again, I'm not a medical professional, but there has been research that topical steroids, any kind of weak exfoliants, to some extent ultrasound and some laser therapy can help with reducing redness when it comes to um, collagen and helping ultimately create more of a filler when it comes to increasing this dermal layer in more aging, more mature skin. But none of these are panaceas or something. No, there's no complete treatment, unfortunately. All right. So that's what we have for the dermis. Which seems like a pretty important layer. A lot of stuff going on. Not quite as dead as the epidermis. But now we got to take a break. We're going to go even deeper to one of the 90s' best indie band, Subcutus. (laughs) Deeper and deeper. (laughs) Yeah, so so once we're back, hypodermis and then some glands and stuff. Black hole skin. (laughs) The following is an actual advertisement. We're a podcast about two parents and their kid going on a quest for good shows. No, we're a podcast about two parents who are trapped in their own living room and we have to endure time and space. Yep, that's right. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Rich. I'm Natalie. And this is Not Suitable for Adults. Take 30 or 40 minutes out of your day to listen to us speak calmly and wisely to you about the best and the worst of kids' TV shows today. And movies. And movies. So join us as we sit in our living room and talk about the things we don't want to watch. And some things we do want to watch. Yeah, it's not all bad. Some of it's good. Some of it. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, we are back with Petri Dish. We're going to be talking about the hypodermis now. So this is where those hypodermic needles go. Very tasty. Okay, okay. The needles you were talking about. Hypodermis. So I know that there's a shitload of fat cells around here, right? This is where all the fat cells, the subcutaneous fat hangs out. Uh, And then also there is still connective tissue, but it's not all tight like the dermis. It's looser connective tissue. What else does the hypodermis have going on? So apart from everything you just said, there tend to be more immune cells just because it is closer to blood vessels and other arteries that might be in the tissue, but also has nerves. And so there are a few more mechanoreceptors in the hypodermis. And while we're going to get into this a little bit later, this is the area that fat is really going to be organized into these clumps known as lobules. Yeah, so so this big chunky chunky fat bros hanging out, uh, and then strands of connective tissue that connect the dermis to the fascia, the fascia and the skeletal muscle, and so this sort of connection between all that good tasty stuff in the dermis that we were talking about, and then stuff like our muscles that are obviously underneath our skin is called the fibrous septae, and changes in the fibrous septae and these fat lobules can be maybe what causes cellulite which we can talk about a little bit in the skincare section about what is going on with cellulite and whether any of those treatments actually help out with it. Okay, so this is obviously unfair to our listening audience, but we have a little image embedded in our notes, yeah. and it shows the different layers of skin, and in both of them, there's this really fucked-up-looking Cthulhu Lovecraftian knot, and I'm seeing it's called glands. Yep. What the fuck are these glands? They're so gross-looking. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, sure, glands, they got the little loop-de-loops and all kinds of shit like that. And so there's actually a lot of glands and follicles that hang out in our skin. Follicles. Yeah, so one of the big ones is one of the ones that Matilda is like full-blown about. Hair follicles. (laughs) Hair follicles are going to be my bread and butter. What attracts you to hair follicles? Honestly... I just think they're very fascinating from a stem cell perspective. They're kind of a mini organ in the field because they have stem cells in different populations that maintain this structure over a long, long period of time. But I want to understand it on a psychological level. At what point in youth did you pull out a hair follicle and you said, what... What is the mystery here in this follicle? When did that happen to you? Or did you have a loved one that was bald and you were like, I'll cure you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw, you saw them dead in the alley as a single hair follicle walked away into shadows. What was your Batman moment? I, I'm the knight. There wasn't a Batman moment. I'm Hispanic. More of a Joker moment. I'm Hispanic. We have hair follicles plenty. Well, so was it from the other direction? Was it like you saw your cousin and their moustache. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my cousin, I will cure your moustache. Yeah. It, was more, you, yeah. it was more of like, what is going on at the top of my yeah. head? You're like walking down the road to Damascus and a giant hair follicle. Ah! You just fall off your mule. So hair follicles, 
They got a lot of shit going on, but also isn't something about the hair follicle what determines whether you have like straight hair or like curly as shit hair? Right, Or like right. wavy hair? Right, so you're actually born with the type of hair that you come to know and maybe love? I don't know. I grew up straightening my hair and I kind of regret it at this point, but essentially the way that the hair follicle is in your skin, the way it twists and turns or doesn't twist and turn will determine the actual fiber, the actual hair strand and its particular orientation. So if you happen to have curly hair, it's because the hair follicle is going to be growing in a sort of wavy, curvy shape. But if you have straight hair, it's just going to be a straight hair follicle in the in the skin. So do you know anything about toeheads? You know what those are? I do not. What? They're people who have brown hair as adults, but when they're born, they're blonde. That has to do more with the melanin that gets incorporated into the actual hair strand and how the melanin actually then decomposes or at least degrades. That's more of a color issue on the melanin side than the actual follicle itself. I just thought that was Tanning Chatham's nickname. Toehead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but melanin, it sounds like obviously a lot of hair is colored. So melanocytes must somehow be associated with hair follicles or something. Right. right so apart from other different compartments in the hair follicle there is a special region where these melanocytes and even the melanocytes stem cells will be located and then um, will incorporate pigment into the hair so if you happen to have blonde hair that usually means you don't have as much pigmentation going on but if you have more on the brown to dark black pigmentation for your hair this is where you're going to get more melanocytes injecting their protein melanin into a growing hair follicle Okay, then if we want to use some kind of CRISPR technology to make anime people with blue hair and purple hair, can we do that on the melanocyte level? Have them inject little dyes into the hair follicle? I don't know if we're quite there yet, but that is an interesting theory. Hashtag life goal. Hashtag cool Japan. <laughs> Wait, so, you know, I saw a 1998 photo of Elon Musk and he was like this cave incel with like losing his hair. God. And now he's like, you know, all jacked up with a lot of hair. What did he do? <laughs> what did he do to his hair follicles to get all that hair back? So you're asking Matilda if there's some way to regrow hair? Is that what you're... Yeah. You wanted to spill all of her intellectual properties? Yeah. I mean, I actually do have intellectual property. That's pretty cool. What I can give you, though, is there is a particular stem cell you know, region in the hair follicle that will allow for hair growth or no growth. So there's this area... Called the bulge, as a matter of fact. Okay, cool. So you get to the bulge. You get to the bulge. And this is the stem cell region that is going to be present for either generating new hair growth, new hair follicles, or uh, maintaining just regular tissue. Oh my god. Okay. The Battle of the Bulge? Yes. Osmosis Jones 13. It's a bald person who's taking hair treatments. And it's the Battle of the Bulge to try to recapture the bulge to grow more hair. Yeah, dude. Thanks. I hate this. (laughs) Oh, God. What was I about to say? I was about to say something dumb, too. (laughs) Well, there you go. You beat me to the Battle of the Bulge thing. Right, right. And essentially, the hair cycle is very much... The Battle of the Bulge. I hate it here. <laughs> yeah, there, there and you go. so what you know as hair, the hair shaft, um, again. <laughs> yeah. You're a pervert. Yeah, <laughs> Calm down. This is what is going to be a result of hair follicle stem cells that are located in the bulge region of the hair follicle itself. 
they grow at the base of this area called the bulb. And this is a result of essentially something that we call the hair cycle. There's three main types that regulate the hair cycle, something known as telogen. This is where hair follicle stem cells are going to be dormant. There's no active hair growth. And then there's a transition period where these stem cells wake up and then proceed to a hair cycle stage known as antigen, where there's active hair growth. So hair follicle stem cells, any cells they produce afterwards will go ahead and make a new hair follicle, will make that hair strand. And then um, surprisingly, this all then goes to shit into a hair follicle stage known as catagen, where there is a huge huge die-off of these cells there's a miniaturization of hair follicles a regressive phase if you will and then hair follicle stem cells then go to a quiescent stage all over again so this is really the hair cycle and one of the reasons why the hair follicle is so intricately studied in stem cell biology because you have this activation to a quiescent sort of dormant phase so could we just like rub fetal bovine serum on our foreheads and get some of that grown again? Just get some FBS and just shower in it? It probably depends on the hair cycle, but you might not be far off from something. I mean, luckily, if you sign up for Patreon this weekend, we have a flash sale on FBS. So one thing I will say, whenever anybody's rubbing anything on themselves... Only I, some I of think, it gets even through, so Something right? that we kind of talked about a little bit with the epidermis shit is there's a lot of layers of stuff to specifically prevent right. big stuff from getting into That's why body. topical treatments, it, it really depends. Like collagen... Too big. Yeah. Doesn't get in. Yeah. Okay. But steroids, you know, steroids especially because in. of their properties, they can get through some thinner right. skin. Opium. One thing that I remember whenever um, we talk is something that you taught me about the log P. So this oh, is... <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. This is, this is essentially a biochemical parameter that if the molecule is going to be small enough, it can penetrate through the skin and actually reach deep down into the dermal layer. And it's essentially also one of the properties I tend to use even with my own research. I need to make sure that the molecules I'm using to grow hair or not grow hair will actually get through this waxy keratinocyte layer and into the dermis where the hair follicle, the stem cells are going to be behaving. So you just work in this like perv lab where you just like rub stuff into mice? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, Buffalo Bill, like we got to rub the lotion <laughs> You're like dancing in a dress made of rat. <laughs> Do you think I'm sexy? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, you gotta, you so, gotta take care of the shafts so and the bulge region. How is the, is the hair cycle different in some fundamental way in animals that have consistent fur? Right. So usually it has to do with the fact that they have maybe a longer active hair cycle. This antigen phase is going to be longer. It's going to be more open for a period of time. So there's going to be more growth happening as opposed to other disorders. If we think about hair loss, for example, that is a fundamental hair cycle disruption. It's some sort of abnormal hair cycling. Okay, so this hair cycle, does it also vary based off of like what part of our body we're talking about? Like top of our head versus like eyebrows or something? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's different types of hair on our human body. We've got, you know, what we know as scalp hair, eyebrow hair. Yes. Uh, sure. And my ass hair is real different. So the reason why you don't maybe. You're it's maybe, red. Yeah. It's just jerry curl. Which, yeah. <laughs> 
that that's a melanin thing. But the reason why <laughs> you're not the reason why you're not like Rapunzel out of your ass is because yeah. you have different hair cycle lengths. Boy, from... jumping to conclusions over here. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> that's how Stacy found me. I just had like ass hair growing out. <laughs> she climbed up my ass hair. <laughs> yeah. uh, the 20-story skyscraper in Seoul, a, a South lot Korea. Of, a lot of things happen in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to make a similar joke about my knuckle hair, but now it's Your all Your knuckle hair? Yeah, I thought I said nut hair. <laughs> <laughs> You're so gross, Matilde. Yes, this is all your fault. What a pervert. Wait, Talking wait, about wait, how Sean's. This is the best part. Okay, the okay, best let's... part is well, we have thicker hair, and, you know, some of our more private bits, and yep. this actually has to do with hormones. So, androgens, anything that's involved with, you know, sex steroids, estrogen, testosterone, that will actually influence the type of hair, the thickness of ah. the hair. So, that's why if you masturbate a lot, Oh, you grow boy. hair on your palms. Damn, dude. <laughs> well, uh, true or false? <laughs> uh, that that is a fun. Uh, I can tell from her face it's true. I plead the fifth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Let me look at your palms, Sean. That's way worse, Matilda. Whoa. You should never plead the. It's, it's self-incriminating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> one, two, three, four, fifth. Yeah. Oh one gosh. of the questions I have about <laughs> about that is I forgot it already. Well, why do palms and sores? No, palms and soles. Why do they not have hair follicles? No reason why. I I mean, like, it probably has some sort of evolutionary basis, but I think just because we use them very much to interact with the environment, they're mainly going to just to have sebaceous glands or um, sweat glands. Well, that's better than my reason. God doesn't like a hairy palm. (laughs) God's mad. (laughs) Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to ask. You were talking about sex hormones and how they can affect the thickness of hair. Do the different sex hormones sort of on the axis between the estradiol ones and the androgen ones, do they affect hair thickness differently in men and women? Because, like, dudes are supposed to have pretty high testosterone. Often women have higher estradiol than men do. But both men and women have testosterone and estradiol. So, you know, does estrogen in dudes make our hair thinner or thicker? Yeah, actually, um, that's a very good point. There is a condition known as hirsutism, and this is where women, when they have sort of an imbalance, and usually on the range of high testosterone, will actually develop a lot of male post-secondary sex characteristics. So like more of a mustache, they will develop more body hair. So more on the testosterone side will you get body hair okay why is it that all the buff guys in the gym seem to go bald though (laughs) (laughs) their hair gets caught (laughs) in the machine and gets torn out okay so hair follicles are not sort of just on their own they also get hooked up to other glands and stuff like that right Right, right. And so the hair follicle itself is such a dynamic system. And one of the things that I'm personally studying is looking at how this sort of epidermal system is connecting to what we think of as maybe a neuronal system. So nerves will go ahead and connect to this stem cell region that I was talking about, where you're going to have this cross tissue communication happening. So 
Something known as the erector pili muscle is going to be... Matilde, calm down. <laughs> She's like sweating over here. She's drooling. It's like, we get it. You like hair follicles and your erectus... It is honestly, in whatever. this segment, the it is nonstop. Pili. Do you yeah. think like, you know how like a certain amount of quantum physics is really sexy because a lot of horny guys made it? Is that yeah. true with like hair science as well? Like in the 70s, like all hair scientists are just like randy perverts. And they, they were, were like, this dudes. is the bulge. And this is the shaft. I mean, considering it's very hormonally related. Yeah. Well, so then let well, me ask you this, honestly. How close does the erector pili muscles get to the bulge? It's, it's <laughs> right up there. It's right up in it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. Right. Unfortunately, that is reality. So, <laughs> yeah. But basically, you're saying that the hair follicle, it's actually at an intersection of a bunch of different kinds of stuff. That we normally think about as like almost completely separate things like muscles and nerves and all that shit. And that's, that's why cool. I do what I do. That's why I go in the lab at two in the morning. That's Jesus. why I stay in lab on a weekend. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not savage love. AKA right? psychosis. <laughs> okay, um, but I'm seeing that sweat glands are connected to these hair follicles. Erector pili. All right, okay. <laughs> and we've got equus sweat glands and then apricot sweat glands. What do these different sweat glands do? <laughs> wow. Uh, so the, the correct starting letter for both yeah, of those. Yeah, I, l- I love equus. All right, we use sweat a lot for cooling. I know that. So one of these is probably the cooling off sweat gland, right? Mm-hmm. The eccrine gland is going to be responsible for allowing for mainly a water-based type of cooling mechanism. Okay, cool. And then there's this apricot one, and I see it's something about scent, which makes sense because they do have a beautiful smell. Yeah, the uh, apocrine sweat glands. Mm. They exit out of the hair follicles for scent purposes. The eccrine ones, we have them like all over our body. A lot of other mammals don't have them. Like uh, dogs will pant a lot more to release heat. So what is it about different sweat glands that like it's a hot day and Stacy smells like sweet things and sugar and I smell like literal dog shit left out and like a Zimbabwean town? My understanding is a lot of that's microbiome, isn't it? Like isn't that microbiome living around and kind of uh, their processing of right. the sweat that's coming out of the Because we've established yeah. that skin has a lot of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and they will eat up whatever trash is in your hair follicles. And I am all trash. <laughs> well, also, I mean, if you would just stop sucking sausages, I feel like that's part of the issue here. Is well, you're getting a lot of stop giving me sausage <laughs> to suck, <laughs> dick. Wow, blame the victim. All right, all right, but the apocrine ones are the ones that are uh, secreting some stuff around, like the armpits or the butthole area. <laughs> talking about the butthole area and uh it's not usually for cooling purposes right like you're not getting a lot of evaporation out of your butthole i do well (laughs) whenever on a really hot day in the savannah i just dig my head in the dirt put my asshole up and open it and just like oh evaporate straight through my asshole live your best life yeah Yeah. you you, you use your butt as like a fennec fox ear (laughs) (laughs) that's like you're cooling that's why i have a lot of surface air on my ass All right. All right. So that was sweat glands. We also got sebaceous glands, right? And so these are the ones that are splooging out oily stuff. I'm in defense of sebaceous glands. Okay. Themselves, they are not the enemy. I think it's really an imbalance of either too much or too little activity of the sebaceous glands. Wait, let's take a super quick step back. Right. Why, Why would people not like sebaceous glands? Mainly because they're famously associated with acne. They're famously associated with oily skin okay interesting yeah so sebaceous they secrete out sebum (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes unfortunately it is semen mixed with bum oh my god (laughs) 
Wrong. That is incorrect. That's so much worse than what I was going to say. It was a tribe nearby no, the no, Latin no, no, who no, were no. conquered. Oh. It's like the Etruscans and the Sebum. Yeah, the Sebumier. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you just went straight to semen and butt. Yeah, sorry. No, so. Sebum is actually made up of... It's a mix. It's a mix of triglycerides. It's a mix of squalene, wax esters, free fatty acids that really your body produces for its own lubricants. That's what jizz is made out of. No, no. (laughs) So this helps with a lot of the moisturization process of the skin so that you don't have this trans epidermal water loss that I previously alluded to. It helps you maintain a lot of the water so that you don't dry out and become pruney like a raisin. So you need these sebaceous glands, but they can overproduce? Like what's They going can on? overproduce or they can underproduce. I think there's a lot of marketing when it comes to sebum that sebum itself is the enemy. I say it's the imbalance, either too little or too much, that will aggravate a lot of skin conditions. Yeah, and I think part of this we're going to be getting into more in our second episode, which is going to be coming up on acne and everything, where we can talk about sebum overproduction or underproduction and sort of right. biological causes. But basically... Sebum is supposed to be out there to help kind of maintain the acidity of your epidermis. It's supposed to, you know, like Matilda was saying, add to the waxy quality to help maintain the water levels. They're connected to hair follicles a lot of the time, although sebaceous glands, I think, can be independent of hair follicles sometimes too. Right, right? yeah, yeah. And when sebum, you know, the stuff which it's got a bunch of fat kind of molecules in a very hydrophobic kind of waxy stuff, when that mixes with some of the dead skin cells or other debris, it can form sort of like a clog. And so I think that that's part of the idea that we can get into when we talk about acne. But that's kind of where sebum can get a bad rap a little bit. Okay. Unfortunately. So we've gone through the sebaceous period uh, right after Triceratops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cretaceous, sebaceous. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, that's it for our primer, right? Yeah. So this episode, we talked about all the fucking layers, right? We did the epidermis. And the epidermis had like five layers or some kind of shit, mm-hmm. right? All the way was, to the dermis. Yeah, yeah. The, but the, even more, there's one beneath it. The subcutis. Oh, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hypodermis subcutie. Yeah. You would not believe during the break, she just kept on giggling saying subcoitus. Yeah. And it was like, calm down. You need to like <laughs> stop exposing me. So randy. <laughs> All right. So this is a family show. Do not for fucking say. Don't. <laughs> Don't besmirch our guest. For the love of fucking God. <laughs> she still I, might have a career. I am a professional. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this primer episode because it gave you just like a fatty stack of information about the skin, okay? But starting with the next episode, we're going to be going into a lot of details that I think people are going to be able to use kind of information-wise in their daily lives. I think almost everyone has right. struggled with acne at some point. Yeah. Acne, celluloid. Uh, all this stuff. Uh, yeah, next episode is acne and wrinkles, man. Yeah, 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 okay. And then after that, we're going to be doing cellulite. We're going to be doing a lot of skincare tips. Matilda's just chock full of them. She's yeah. chomping at the bit. She's going to help you change your awful life habits and all become a better person. Self-care. Self-care, guys. And then episode four is all about sun and the skin and how you're going to get cancer. Make sure to sign up for our Patreon. Uh-huh. We've got all sorts of new skincare products coming out. We do Again, not. FBS, Pangolin. Is, don't do it. Everything <laughs> that's good for your sebaceous period. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Right. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. You can tweet at us at Dish Podcast. Let's say thank you to Matilde. My pleasure. It was so nice having you for this episode, even though we're going to grab you for three more of them. Fucking chock, chock full of information. Let's go. Yeah. Right. What is Matilde's last name? Miranda. Miranda, well, thank you, Matilda Miranda. Una Latina Manuel. Fantastica. Ah, uh, yes, de Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Si. 
I can't roll my R's. And then we Just got kidding. Stacy Song. So thank you to our sound lord and engineer, Brian Allen, for our artwork. Mm. And we'll see you guys next time. Woo! Da 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 da